And welcome to the debut episode of Hitting for the Cycle. I am your host, Hank and Dichter, and as you can probably tell by the title of this new show, this is going to be a baseball-centric show, and we will be going over some of the weekly games and the big news that goes on over the course of the season. And needless to say, I am very excited to be offering you my insight and opinions for what goes on during these games during the upcoming season. In addition, each show, we will guests to give their perspective as well whether it be Yankees fan, Met fan, Red Sox fan, pretty much any fan we can find. But anyways, I'm really excited. But before we begin, I would like to start off by plugging the show. So first off, if you want to find us, give us a follow on all forms of social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you miss our show, go ahead and check us out on on Anchor. And um, in addition, I would also recommend you subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports we pretty much cover a lot of sports with some of the different shows. And and with that having been said, let's bring our guest for tonight, one of the biggest Giant fans in New York State, which, believe it or not, those aren't too uncommon, as uncommon as you think. Let's welcome Giant superfan Josh Weinberg. Josh, how's it going, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing, Hank? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited to be talking baseball with you. We've been This is something that we should have been doing, like, maybe... I don't know, four or five years ago, we've been pretty much having a lot of debates over the years, but very excited. And of course, let's start off with my team, the Yankees. And um, yeah, to say I'm pretty disappointed by the start of the season would be a pretty big understatement. I mean, they looked pretty good. They gave up a run the first with that solo home run, but then Gary hit a two-run home run. You know, I got to tell you, Gary Sanchez, for a guy that I've been criticizing a lot, he's been doing pretty well this year so far. But, um, you know, he's still going to be facing his share of criticisms. You know, there's going to always going to be the fans going on about the block balls. And, um, yeah, Josh, what's your opinion? I know you're one of the biggest Gary haters out there. So fire away, fire away, my man. So, you know, the big thing with Gary is his consistency at the plate. You know, he needs to really learn that discipline and to lay off a lot of off-speed pitches and start limiting how much he chases. You know, because the big issue with him is he strikes out a ton and he really lacks the ability to get on base in a consistent time. So it's for him, he's oftentimes an all or nothing hitter, which, you know, sometimes, yeah, for years it can pay off, but you know, if you're not putting it over the fence, it's not going to work for him, you know, cause he's just that, that good. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. Cause I've, for years, I've been a guy that's defending Gary Sanchez and, even now, I'll still try and defend him every now and then when I can, but but I am definitely losing my patience because as talented as he is, and we've seen too, he even threw out a base runner. He's got a hose for an arm. The only problem is pitch framing has been an issue. I don't really want that with my catcher. And there's also been the issues of lack of hustle, but you know what? I'll give it to him. He, he legged out that infield single. Not bad. I'll take that. It's a big positive, you know, all the hustling and, you know, it's a big step forward for him for day one. Yeah, true. And it's, it's kind of, it kind of stinks that I have to like give that as a positive, but Hey, it is what it is. But, um, the big, one of the first big uh, setbacks that happened during the season, obviously Zach Britton starting the season on the DL, which is really not a good thing. He's one of our best relievers, but we also lose Luke Voigt for an exciting amount of time, a torn MCL muscle. Now, 
the lineup right now as it is is still pretty powerful. You still got Judge, you still got Stanton, Hicks, Glaber. But the big question is, how long can this lineup be like fully healthy? You know, um, <clears throat> with some luck, they definitely could last the season. You just never know. But um, that's it, always been a huge question for the Yankees. You know, given they're such a talented group, but their group is consistently hurt. And you know, you see it year in and year out now. You, know, you see Judge get hurt, and you know he's out for an extended period of time, typically. And, you know, Stanton gets hurt, you know, and it's always they're flip-flopping or they're hurt at the same time. The Yankees are struggling to make that match and then getting them back in the postseason sometimes too little too late. Yeah, no, I agree. And now before we get to the next thing of the Yankees, let me check out the peanut gallery here from some of the some of our uh, longtime viewers. First of all, Andy Hopper. Andy, what's good? Always a pleasure, my man. Sam, how's it going? Glad you like the choice of intros and um <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom, I gotta agree, you're right. They are both nuts, but they are also both very fun people to talk sports with. Andy, please, Andy, by the way, he does a show called The Brew Party. Please give him a check out. And Sam, check out her show, The Girl Who Talks Sports. Both of these, both of those two need more subscribers and more followers. They are a lot of fun and you can be sure that both of them will appear on the show later on down the road. But for now, let's continue with this Yankee talk. Uh, one of the big things going on with the Yankees is pitching. And uh, to segue that, let me bring up uh, Tom's comment. Cole looked iffy today. I'd feel sorry for whoever faced him next. Yeah, I would agree. I think Cole next next uh, start is going to come out firing and he's going to like come out looking real real pissed after this uh, after Tay, which to be fair, I didn't think he was terrible, but Two runs and that rough second inning was was tough. And um, you obviously want more out of your horse. And I was hoping to see him go more innings given given the bullpen is in that full strength. And I didn't even mention Chapman's suspended for two games from, I think it was hitting Brusso last year, if you remember. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so it's got a bit of adversity. And also, Sam, very good point. If you're not pissed on opening day, is it really opening day? Very <laughs> true. <laughs> I know, jo- Josh, I'm sure you're probably going to be feeling that once the Giants play in a couple hours. Uh, hopefully not. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> as the uh, great Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper would say, you know, what's a Giant game without a heart attack? <laughs> I mean, this is the same team that used torture as their like rallying slogan a couple yes. years back. Of course. So, obviously, pitching is a big deal. So, Cole is the one guy I pretty much trust on a day on a daily basis. Like, you know, he's your horse, you know what you're going to get out of him. And it's, it's, he has a CC like feel like I'm talking 2009 to 2012 CC. So I definitely trust him when he's pitching. And then we get to Tyon who I think he'll be improved. I think Tyon, he's still young. He still has good stuff. I'm really looking forward to see what he does, but I don't, I don't blame the Yankees for waiting a little bit to start him because we know he's coming off Tommy John and, we have more than one guys on the pitching rotation that have Tommy John with Corey Kluber being another one. Now, of course, the difference between Kluber and Tyon is Kluber is a guy that we signed to one-year contract. We know that he's going to be a reclamation project, if anything, but he's the guy that I'm glad the Yankees pretty much took a flyer on because we know he has, he has a proven track record of success. And I think if he learns to pitch with diminished velocity, much like Andy Pettit and CeCe Bathley did in their later years, they can be very effective for us. But then, of course... It's the middle of the rotation that really gets interesting because Montgomery, Jordan Montgomery is the one guy I'm really intrigued to see because we know he missed pretty much like a whole year due to due to Tommy John. Like he was out in May of 2018, didn't really come back until September and he only pitched one game. And then 2020, do I even need to explain what happened? Like they that season like didn't start until like late July and you could see he really struggled to get his groove going, especially given like all that had happened within the past few years. So I would say this is a really big prove it year for him. And let's go to the fifth guy in the rotation. Now I know a lot of people are not really happy to see him in the rotation, considering the personal problems he had off the field. And I'm not in any way, shape or form defending Domingo Herman for what he did. I think it was really bad, but, However, with that being said, 
I will not deny that he has good stuff. I mean, we saw what he did before the suspension happened in 2019. He, you could even make the case that he was our ace that year. But I think he is another guy that has a lot to prove, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does. And you also have Davey Garcia, who's still like, who's in the minors to start, but I think that'll be temporary. What, are, Josh? What's your take on the starting rotation? You know, it's you have a lot of question marks with the Yankees, and you know a lot of guys who are really talented players or were really talented players, and it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how we uh, how those players adjust and how the Yankees will adjust on a day to day basis. You know, because you look at a guy like Kluber, you know, he struggled when he was in Texas when he was pitching, and you know now he's giving a shot in a smaller stadium, and he's. Still had issues year to year now. We're having repetitive issues uh-huh. as he's getting older, which is a big concerning sign to me. You know, because of course, with age, you get diminished velocity, like you mentioned, and you also have to worry about how durable is he going to be? How many is he, is he going to provide for the Yankees? And then who's going to step in his place? Is Davey Garcia ready to step in Kluber's place to be? You know, an every uh, f- uh, fifth day starter, or you know, is he still unpolished for that yet? Yeah, that's a good point. I'm thinking over the course of the season, he probably will settle in. I think basically the reason he's going, he's in the Myers, is to like work on his mechanics, so to speak. But I think once he gets back, it'll provide a good problem because then you have six guys in the rotation. So I think this begs the question: Do you think the Yankees at some point should use the six man rotation? And keep in mind, we didn't even mention Luis Severino yet. He's still recovering from his own injury, and he's probably not going to be back until mid-July. If the Yankees pitching is stable, fingers crossed, let's knock on wood, then, you know, hopefully this presents a good problem for them come mid-summer. Uh, yeah, certainly. And um, yeah, the, the six-man rotation theory really is makes for an interesting uh, problem for Boone and the and – the, his coaches mm-hmm. and they really uh, got some decisions coming along and it'll be interesting to see what they do with Severino. Will they mainly let him rest this year? Maybe just use him as like a extra fuel propellant and late in the year when you have a couple tired pitchers, maybe you need one to go on a 15 day IL rest, you know, maybe Montgomery's, you know, at a pitching limit for innings or, you know, Kluber is hurt. You know, Severino's going to be a big piece coming down the line. Yeah, no, for sure. It's going to – it's definitely something to think about, that's for sure. And I really, I really, really am hoping that the rotation becomes stable because when you look at it, the Yankees haven't really – the Yankees have never really had this problem in a while. Like, one of the big problems that I've been stressing over the few years has been pitching depth. And now, like, you know, I, I'm. It's it's something to really think about. And – uh let me uh, pin this comment from James. Six-man works is better for everyone, especially with COVID. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, James. Thanks for the comment. By the way, if you guys want to comment down below with your opinions, please do. I strongly recommend it, and I would love to, to have conversations with you guys on the side. So, um, yeah, and uh, now let's talk about the competition that the Yankees have in this division. I, for me personally, there's really one team in the division that scares me, and I think yeah, you might. I have a feeling you probably know who that is. And it's not because they beat us today. I would say it is the Toronto Blue Jays. You look at that lineup, you have guys like Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, in addition to George Springer, who, mind you, he's starting the season on the IL, but we know he's going to come back. When he comes back, that lineup's going to be very lethal. That's going to cause a lot of problems for the Yankees. And their pitching staff isn't necessarily too shabby either. you got Hunjin Ryu, Steven Matz. What's your take, Josh? Do you think do you think the Blue Jays are going to be a sneaky competition for the Yankees? They certainly are, and you know they really do have a really stacked lineup, and they're really looking to position themselves as a main competitor to the Yankees. You know they came out and spent big. They decided that they were going to be a big market team this year, and they're certainly playing like it, and they're certainly ready for it. Yeah, and I also like the acquisition of. Um, Marcus Semyon, I think he provides some good infield depth. And um, yeah, unfortunately, Nick Nick's right. Teoscar is good. He's He's been a known Yankee killer. And um, reason the Blue Jays giving us a hard time. 
James, it's funny that you bring up because I'm actually about to bring up this next point. The Rays are in a tough situation. So we know they're coming off the AL pennant, but they lose two key members of the starting rotation and one of their best members of the bullpen. I don't know if the Rays are going to be as much of a threat this year as they were last year. Like the lineup was okay last year, but the thing is Austin Meadows was their one consistent hitter. And not to mention, I think the other, the other issue for the, for the Rays is can Randy Rosarena adjust? Cause we know like he was hitting bombs every single day during the playoffs. And this guy is still very young. So what, what what's your take on the Rays? You know, they really are an interesting squad, and they're going to be really interesting to watch, you know, because the Rays on a year-to-year basis have shown they don't really care, and they don't. it doesn't really matter what they subtract. They're able to replace them with absolute perfection, or, you know, near perfection. You know, and on a year-to-year basis, they're typically the big surprise team out of the East, and, you know, last year we saw them go to the World Series, and I understand they lost Blake Snell, but, you know, Blake Snell is a guy that's sometimes inconsistent in the uh, regular season, and he's ha- he, he has sh- struggled in past years, so we will see how he does. Yeah, the Rays, the Rays are an interesting team, and uh, Tom brings up a good point. Ray is still in the mixer wild card. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens because the Rays are one of those teams that like always seems to find a way, as you mentioned, to replace like whatever they lose. They're probably one of the few like small market teams that like after a while they'll find a way to be competitive. But mm-hmm. with that having been said, I think losing the ace, especially after the way they lost the World Series and losing Charlie Morton, who really was one of the more underrated starting pitchers in the AL, I think that could really come back to hurt them. And losing Jose Alvarado hurts too because this is one of your strong bullpen guys and one yep. of the horses that Kevin Cashman pretty much loved to ride as the um, as the season went down while they were like making a strong push yeah now they're gonna be looking to really weigh on Michael Waka and you know other you know bet options like Rich Hill so we'll see how they do with that but definitely a little more risky than what they used to have so I'm going to give you a bit of a hot take, though. And here's a good question. Do you think the Red Sox can emerge as a bit of a spoiler for the Yankees and, like, the other teams in the in the AL East? Because let's not forget, their lineup was never the problem. Even without Mookie, you still got Endeavors, and not to mention you also have, also have that good prospect, Bobby Dalbeck, coming up, and uh, not to mention um, – What's his name? Um, gosh, it, he's escaping me. Uh, oh, Verdugo. Verdugo <laughs> was not exactly like a bad a bad get, even even if they had to lose bets. So, looking at the Red Sox, that's a team that could very well steal some games this year for the Yankees. And I got to tell you, also, I'm not looking forward to facing Adam Adovino. Like, don't get me wrong, he had one bad inning last year, which really inflated his ERA. But, like, I didn't think he was necessarily bad enough for the Yankees to have to trade in the salary dump. Yeah, they uh, that was probably, a, you know, a pretty big mistake from the Yankees' point. And I understand they wanted to get rid of the cash so they could use that on Brett Gardner and, you know, some other players. But, you know, for the Red Sox, that was a major hole they had all of last year. And even the last couple of years, they've had big bullpen issues. And... Now they they got a guy that's, you know, for nothing, and he's a really talented reliever. And, you know, they're looking to acquire more starters each day, and, you know, they did a really good job at getting some starters last season. And, you know, they had a big breakout one, Tanner Hoke, who looked really good when he was pitching in the uh, 60-game season. Yeah, Red Sox are going to be an interesting case for sure, and I think we know the Orioles are pretty much – not really going to get into much detail. I think we know they're going to be in last place, but we'll see how they do, and they and we'll see if they can be on the rise in a few years. And now, of course, with that having been said, let's expand this to the other to the team in Queens, our crosstown rivals, the New York Mets, and they are one of my teams that, for me, game. It, I'm going to talk about as a key takeaway from this off season. And before I talk about them, let's go. Let me pull up Paul's comment in here. 
You can follow Paul on one of our other shows, the three ND. He provides a lot of good content there. Talks a lot of basketball and he's another guy who I plan to have on in the show in the future. Should be an interesting crosstown rivalry talk. Really looking forward to that. And, um, he has a good question for me. Mood shot today in the snow by Maggie. Thoughts? That was pretty cool. I love that we slid in a second, thinking that it, that it was a double off the wall. But he still, I, he still got a little bit left in the tank. I don't know. What say you, Josh? Um, yeah, Miggy is, you know, he's one of those guys that just kind of lasts long, and you know, he's got the, you know, the swing that, you know, it's the form for him is just really on point and always has been, and. The one thing he has to focus on is staying healthy. Yeah, for sure. He's um, he's definitely obviously we know he's like on the wrong side of thirty, but I, I we can still see him get one of those big home runs every now and then. Matter of fact, he's got he's got four hundred eighty eight home runs. That's twelve away from five hundred. Great career, one of the best hitters of our generation for sure. And um, let's go to his brother Nick, Nick uh, Lombardi. Will the Mets win the division or make the wild card? Well, Nick, I'm glad you asked that. We will be we will be talking about that as we address what the Mets did. Not really so much just this offseason, but over the past few days, because we because obviously they've got some big news. Unfortunately, we know their game got postponed due to one of the Nationals players getting COVID. But the division for the NL East is going to be pretty tough. They will at the very least be in the wild card, though. So I can see that. And I do think the Mets were one of the big winners of the offseason. And James brought it up. They got their guy last night. Yes, they did. They signed Francisco Lindor to a 10-year, $341 million contract. This basically shows you that he's the guy they're going to be relying on as the face of their franchise. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I do think, do I think he was overpaid? Yeah, but... A guy like Francisco Lindor, if you want him, you're going to have to overpay him, unfortunately. That's how it is. Yeah, it's uh, that's right around what the market value is for a star shortstop, you know. And, you know, for what they gave up, they gave up a good amount of assets that were young and controllable. So it they would have been a pretty deep hole had they let him walk. And with that having been said, I think the acquisition of Francisco Lindor is a big reason as to why I have the Mets as one of the big winners of the offseason. Like, this is uh, what more can I say? He's one of the best shortstops in the league. And you're looking at the top of that lineup. You got Nimmo, you got Lindor, you got McNeil, Pete Alonso, who we know he struggled last year. But again, given what happened last year, there were a lot of guys who put up seasons that, you know, weren't necessarily like them because it was 60 games. So, I don't know if I necessarily want to put too much stock into this, but I think he can have a good bounce back year. And not to mention Conforto and Smith should be very potent, provided they can all stay healthy. And you know what? I'm also, I also have to say James McCann is a good get too. four years. Not too bad for a catcher, especially given what Real Muto got paid for by the Phillies. Yeah. McCann was a really underrated get for them. Really is going to help focus their pitching staff and, help align them on the everyday catching position at the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it's true. And then catcher is something they've needed for a while. I can't really, besides Piazza, I can't really remember the most recent catcher they had. <laughs> Ramos. <laughs> yeah, no, he was a disaster. Um, Maybe, I mean, Laduca was decent for a few years, but other than him, I can't really think of any. John Buck. But, um, other good signings made were, uh, Jonathan Villar, Albert Elmore Jr., and Kevin Pillar, very good depth signings that can provide some speed coming off the bench. And um, I'll tell you what, I like what they did with the pitching, too. You got, um, obviously, you got Jacob DeGrom and Marcus Stroman. Carrasco, obviously, is hurt, but I still think that was another good get in the Lindor trade. And then getting Joey Lucchese and uh, Taiwan Walker, not too bad. Like, honestly, we already know their pitching was pretty good as it is, but I – as, as was said during an SI magazine cover, you can't necessarily have too much pitching. Yep, and, you know, they finally answered a big question that they've been posed for years. Do they have enough pitching? They finally look like they do. They finally backed up their star pitchers with a couple of really good depth players, and they look like they'll actually be able to last 162. And you could also look out for them getting Noah Syndergaard 
maybe back in July or August. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought up Thor because we know it's only going to make their rotation that much deeper. And I think at the very least that pitching will win them a lot of games and we'll definitely keep mm-hmm. them next for a wild card potentially. And in a, now let me talk about an, one of the moves that Steve Cohen didn't make. And obviously that was not signing Trevor Bauer. He signed a three year, $40 million per year contract with the LA Dodgers. I know, I don't know about you, or I think I kind of have, have your opinion a little bit. I personally think the Mets dodged a bullet. And let me explain why. Yes, he had an amazing season as a Cy Young winner. But I don't know if I want to take much stock into a season where a guy pitched in a (sighs) pandemic-shortened year against only his division rivals and one where he won a Cy Young with a 6-1 and record. And not to mention his ERA is a little too high. I don't know if I want to commit $40 million to that. It's not even just that. Pitching in New York with his personality, like, if he struggles the first, the like one of the first few starts, the New York media and the New York fans can are a bunch of savages. Like they're gonna like turn on him the instant he messes up. You know, uh, I'm just gonna have to disagree with you here, Hank. You know, I think Ooh. that playing Bauer, I see Power is a really talented pitcher, and he's starting to show how he is working against his age and working against you know, all these doubters. And I understand that he only, you know, he's had a good season, a 60-game season, and then he had half of a good season, uh, I think, the year prior. And, you know, he, so, he, yes, he's been inconsistent in years past. and But for him, he's, uh, he's said this multiple times on YouTube, and he references this a lot on Twitter, you know, that the use of foreign substances that he uses. I think he's going to bring that to the Dodgers and help his teammates use those substances. And, you know, this is going to just make them that much better. Uh, He, there is a lot of suspicion that he helps a lot of other major leaguers when he's on their teams um, using that substance. It's, Hmm. but you guys can reference his YouTube page if you want to find out some more about his substance use. Yeah, that guy's a character. It certainly is. <laughs> it would have been interesting for sure to see him in orange and blue. I'm just not as sure as you that it would have worked out well. But at the same time, I don't think the Mets really needed him. I think they did a good job yeah. improving their pitching staff. They also did a good job adding Trevor May to that bullpen. Yep. Hopefully for them, Edwin Diaz and have another good year. I know – Again, I know I don't really like to put stock into 2020, but he definitely bounced back after the year before where he struggled mightily, and he may have cost them the playoff spot that year too. So it'll Mm -hmm. be interesting to see how that bullpen goes. Now, do I think they'll win the division? I'll probably talk a little bit more when I get to my picks, but personally, I would say no. And the reason why, the Atlanta Braves are insanely deep. Like, you look at that lineup, you got Acuna and Al. Albies like insanely powerful and they're they're loaded and not to mention that pitching staff also got better and I think ca- acquiring Charlie Morton as like a solid number three definitely helped um yeah touching on the Braves mm-hmm. it'll really be interesting to see what they do and how they do because they have such a young rotation that I'm not you know that big on them I'm I'm more on the side of that the Mets would win the division. They have more veteran staff, and they have a better depth when it comes to their rotation. And, you know, as much as the Braves do have a great lineup, the Mets match that equally as much with their strength and stars. And, you know, now the Braves and the division itself is just so strong. It's going to – I think it will pull down a lot of the teams. So we'll see a lot of teams battling it out having similar records in that division. One of the interesting points you made before the show that we discussed, I think you said the last place team is going to have an 80 and 82 record. Yeah, I did. I I do think that the Marlins have a good shot at being near 500 or at 500. And they're going to be a real pesty team when it comes to um, 
playing every other team in their division. Uh, they looked really good last year. I know you don't like to take too much stock into the 60-game season, and, you know, I get that, and I understand why we wouldn't take too much stock into it, but you you did get to see the Marlins debut a lot of the young pitchers and how they did, and they have a great young staff coming up, and they have a ton of young players on their team, and they also have a good mixture of veterans with Corey Dickerson and some other players like that. Yeah, the Marlins, I think, I know it's not really much and it's a short sample size, but I think they definitely showed they can really be a team that improves. Got some uh, decent young talent, and I really like the direction they're going with the new ownership too. I think I think we know that if Loria was still there, he'd probably blow that up immediately as soon as they mm-hmm. show signs of greatness. I also think the Phillies did a good job this offseason. I know their bullpen can't really get much worse than last year. I like that they got Alvarado and Bradley and – their lineup's still pretty loaded, and you still got Nolan, Nolan Wheeler as some solid guys to head their rotation. So I don't think they're a slouch either, but the team I think sneakily got good this offseason for the NL East would be the Washington Nationals. I think the trade of Josh Bell to the Pirates for, like, what, like a bag of chips, I guess? <laughs> I believe his yeah. name is Yeah, I think that could really help them. And if Kyle Schwarber produces – Mm-hmm. The way we've seen him do in Chicago, that could really help. And don't forget yeah. about their pitching rotation. You still got Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. And now you add John Lester to that. Don't be surprised if they're in the mix either. Yeah, and, you know, with that, you know, it's, a lot of this division's issues is who's going to stay healthy. And that's, I think, whoever's team stays healthy wins this division. I mean, as uh, simple as that sounds. It's, it is going to come down to that. Who's going to be the healthiest team out there? You know, because the, the, we have the big names, but we saw, you know, Nationals really struggled. You know, they had a lot of injuries last year. And then, you know, maybe we'll see some different teams pop up through them. Yeah, for sure. I could totally see that. And um, let's talk about the division that I know you're really focused on. The NL West. Now, I think one of my big takeaways from that division was say what you want about AJ Preller, the GM of the San Diego Padres. He is extremely aggressive. I mean, look what he gave up to get you Darvish. He gave up Zach Davies, who was one of their better young pitchers. He gave up Reginald Preciado, Owen Cassie, Ismael Mania, Yesian Santana, and all these guys are all these guys I think were some of the top prospects in their system. Is it a smart decision and will it put them over the top? I don't know because you look at the team, that's their main competition. It's pretty loaded. But yep. in addition to that, they got Blake Snell and Joe Musgrove, who both were playing for some small market teams and have a chance to be on a team that's going to be competitive for sure. So I like what AJ Preller's been doing. I like I like that he's aggressive and I think he's taking a better approach this year than he did five years ago when when they went out and splurged on Matt Kemp and James Shields and Will Myers, but these guys didn't really have a good fit on their team and and there were still plenty of holes that he kind of ignored too. Yep, of course. And you know, with the Padres, it's going to be really That's interesting. Too. I forgot about that. What? Justin Upton was one of those players he got too, if you remember. Yeah, of course. He got both Uptons actually. Yes, he did. Um, he got BJ through uh, the Kimbrel deal. Yes, that's right. Um, but yeah, going back to our present day Padres, um, you know they do look really good and they look like they're ready to compete. And you know I certainly slot them in at that home wild card team slot. And they look like they're ready to really compete, but I still don't see them being uh, quite near the Dodgers yet. And it'll really be interesting, though, to watch that, you know, the NL West. I think the Giants have a really great opportunity to slot into third and maybe sneak into a second wild card spot, Uh, especially if they can pick on, you know, the Diamondbacks and Rockies as the Dodgers and Padres will. Yeah, and Tom brings up a comment here. Dodgers win the West, Padres wild card number one. 
Yeah, Tom, I totally see that. I totally see that. And I'll probably explain more about that later. But I do think that the uh, I like what AJ Preller did. And I think, you know, it's funny in a roundabout way that in this offseason, the Preller Palooza year actually kind of went full circle, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Because fun fact, Will Myers is the only member of the Padres that he acquired in those deals that is still remaining. Remember, this guy was the face of their franchise a couple years ago. Yep, they really wanted uh, Myers to be that big step forward. And unfortunately, he never really took that you know massive step to be a franchise player. He's just been a solid asset for them. Yeah, no, he it was it was pretty tough. But um, I'll tell you the deal that really yep. made it go full circle, and that's the deal that's pretty much become a meme. There was a pitcher they had that I mentioned briefly, James Shields. They got rid of him in a salary dump. One of those two prospects they got, Fernando Tatis Jr. And now you have him with Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer leading pretty much a lethal lineup. It's funny how these things work out, you know? Yeah, you just never know when you're getting a PTBNL or a, you know, any type of minor leaguer, you, you just never know what might happen to them. They might figure something out, or coaching staff might see something. And a lot of the times, that is what happens. You know, the Giants have done it a lot of years in a row now. They've done it with uh, Mike Yastrzemski. They totally plucked him away from the Orioles. And, you know, the Dodgers have done it multiple times as well with Max Muncy and other assets. I mean, the Dodgers have had the money to get a lot of good prospects, too. Yeah, you know, they, that's a big uh, thing about the NLS is they all show they all flex their financial capabilities quite often, you know, because a really big thing about the NLS is that each team loves its depth. Each team has, you know, players that are major league, you know, starters on their bench. You know, the Giants less so, but they do have some really good assets that are, you know, potential starters on other teams. And, you know, but if you look at the Dodgers, it's they have Chris Taylor, who was a all-star, I think, two years ago, three years ago, on their bench. A.J. Pollock, they gave $80 million over five years to be on their bench in platoon. Just, just to stop, you know, the Giants or the Padres from getting him. And not to mention, let's talk about one of the other big moves they made. They gave Tatis that 14-year contract, which is crazy because if you look at the games he's played since he's come up, he hasn't even played a full big league season, if you really think about it. A full season of 162 games. He played 143. (laughs) The guy's like, what, my age or maybe like a year or two younger? And and, and they went back on him as the face of their franchise? I mean, I like that they're doing that. Because it's aggressive and they want to challenge the Dodgers. I just don't know if they have enough. Because as we mentioned with the Dodgers, you got you got a lineup that has very few holes, if any. Corey Seager, Clay Cody Bellinger. <laughs> there just right. isn't a hole on that Dodgers lineup. Even have an MVP in Mookie Betts. Like that's yep. that's a fantasy team. Yeah. And to add to that fantasy team. They're going to go out and say, oh, you know what? We need another pitcher. Let's go out and get Trevor Bauer because why not? Yep, you already yeah. got Clayton Kershaw. You already got Walker Bueller. You already got David Price who's coming back. Let's just for the fun of it get Trevor Bauer, right? What? And like, don't forget, they also have top prospect and you know stud reliever or starter. Depends how they want to use him. Dustin May. You know, my prediction is that they'll use May and Price. Oh, the pitching version of Clint Frazier, yeah. <laughs> yes, the pitching version of <laughs> Frazier for you Yankee fans. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that uh, the way Dave Roberts is going to use uh, Dustin Mays as a counterpiece to David Price because they have other starters as well in that on that roster. And they're going to use either May or Price to start the game for, you know, two, three innings. And then they're going to flip it to Dustin May, who's a hard-throwing right-hander who's dominant he throws 100 really easily very little effort and he's got some wipeout pitches and he looks just like a just on race and they just keep 
popping them out like it's nothing. You want to know some other good moves they made that were kind of quiet? They got, I think they got, they get Blake Trinan back. Yeah, they did. I believe it was a one-year, ten million dollar deal. And even though he's probably still going to miss a lot of time recovering from Tommy John, I like the addition of Tommy Canely for them, even though for me personally, I think that was a rough loss. I think Canely, as as I've probably said, was a relief pitcher they definitely could have used last year when there were moments that the bullpen was kind of on the fritz. But, you know, I think once he gets back healthy, I think he'll be a very effective piece out of that bullpen, which, again, name me one hole that the Dodgers have. None. They, They have such strong depth. Almost every position they've made acquisitions, like Ruzdar Gadrol, who's you know a kid that throws 100 miles an hour with ease of the uh, stretch, and then they also have you know great closer and Kenley Jansen. They have great setup relievers as well, and thankfully the Giants plucked away Jake McGee from them. Yes, you know, we don't have him, but you know. Now getting back to the Giants. Huh? said, now getting back to the Giants. So I think you kind of, if I read between the lines from what we were saying when we were talking about a lot of the big moves that the NL West teams make, do you think the Giants are going to be a team that could potentially like make a little run at that wild card or be, or make a little sneaky run there? I actually do. I really liked the Giants acquisitions in the offseason. You know, they really did a great job of getting some really low key players that will help them in the uh, long in the uh, short term cover for some really long term prospects that they have coming. You, know, you look at their farm system. It, I think it was, you know, top ten or something, you know, amongst other reports. And you look at the guys they have, and Joey Bart. You know, he he looks to be another star catcher coming up to just back Posey up, and. Once they want to transition Posey maybe to first base or keep Posey at catcher and move Bart to first, and Bart will be a great hitter. He looks to be really good. And then they also have Heliot Ramos looking to come up in about a month or two as well, and he looks like he's just going to destroy the league when he comes up. I think that's going to really help fuel the Giants, at least to be competitive to the last month. Yeah, I, I've seen a few reporters now say that the Giants will at least be into September, you know, last week of September. They'll be in the games. They'll be competing for that second wild card spot. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to hang with the Braves or the Mets or the Nats. You know, it's, it's a pretty tough task, but, you know, they, they like to be that underdog. They've loved that underdog mentality. Oh, yeah. Back at 2010, you know, they had that underdog mentality the whole way. Every, I think every year they won the World Series in our lifetime. They had that; they were underdogs. Like I, I can't really think of too many series where I think they were the clear favorites. Yeah, not typically. <laughs> even 2016, I thought there was a slight chance where they could upset the Cubs, but the, even then, the Cubs were just too good, and the Cubs had yeah. that big comeback. And that was destiny. <laughs> yeah, I know that 108 years they were bound to win one eventually, and I think. Yep. But I do remember there were, there was a chance where they probably could have beaten the Cubs had that series gone back to Wrigley for Game Five. Yeah, but unfortunately. With that being said, it, yeah, no, a lot of them. Well, that happens with dynasties. Like player, they don't really last forever. Players will get older; they decline. Buster, Buster two included. But you know, it'll be interesting to see what Farhan does. I mean, after all, this guy was with the Dodgers for years. So, yep, him and Andrew Freeman are on the right track. However, the same cannot be said for another takeaway that I have. And this is another team in your division, the Colorado Rockies. I cannot for the life of me understand like what their whole plan was with trading Nolan Arenado. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against the idea of trading your superstar. If you had to, the guy's getting paid a ton of money. I, I understand there's probably the maybe the worry that it's going to end up handcuffing them for a while. But to get just one small prospect back in return after you've been advertising this guy as one of the faces of your franchise, and let's be real, I think Nolan Arenado is probably one of the best players in rock in the short history of the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, but, he definitely is. He's up there with the Tulowitzkis and Kadires of the universe. 
and the Larry Walkers and Todd Helton's. Yeah, of course. They, this is a guy that like they signed him to that, thinking, "Oh, let's let's just bring you back to keep the fans coming to the stadium." They're like, "Oh, nope." That was their yeah. plan all along. And you know, to be honest, Hank, you know they they did uh, get really um, stung by their you know their pitchers really not producing uh, at the pace they thought they would. You know they really thought highly of um, John Gray and Kyle Hoff- Kyle Hoffman, or mm-hmm. I believe that's his name. You know they really thought highly of a bunch of their pitchers. I forgot a few of their names now that they've been sent down or DFA'd. And did they have Kyle Freeland? Is that another? Yeah, Kyle Freeland. Yep. Yeah, Hoffman and Friedman, two really top prospects when they got them. And you know, unfortunately, Coors Field is just destroying every pitcher pitcher they've bought in. You know, right now they have Antonio Sensatella, who's looks promising for them, but again, he's just another pitcher who has a four year A. You know, it's it's been really tough for them to develop any pitching, and I understand why they would want to get rid of Arenado, being that they just don't have a use for him. You know, what's the use of having a superstar if you're not going to make the playoffs or go deep in the playoffs? Yeah, no, it's it's really it's a real vicious cycle. I think the other problem is they also seem to focus on pitchers and like the bullpen. When I think the another thing, I actually watch. This is a video from um, what's his? I think it was Foolish Baseball made this video talking about the whole Nolan Arenado trade. He mentioned that I think the outfield is just as much of a problem because a lot because mm-hmm. you look at highlights of Charlie Blackman, he can't field a lot of those fly balls at course field. I think that's just as much of a problem that doesn't really get talked about enough. Yeah, they have a very notoriously large outfield. You know, it's often talked about among NL West um, fan bases and you know broadcasts. And you know, as much as they're a hitter stadium, their stadium, you know, itself, the outfield is a really hard area to field in. And they, you know, again, they subtracted David Dahl, who was a really good hitter as well. And they really have struggled to find a guy who can both field hit and have some longevity. And, you know, another issue with that is, of course, you need a good pitcher to not, not let the ball go over the fence. You know what really blows my mind about the Rockies, though, with the with their whole mismanagement isn't even just isn't even just their focus on necessarily the wrong thing. Like with outfield, like they've got they've seen like names of guys who've like who've been who've been known, like the Daniel Murphy, for example. Mm-hmm. They cannot, for the life of them, like sign a good free agent. That's mind boggling. I feel bad for like Trevor Story and Herman Marquez because eventually, you know, they're either going to leave. I think one of them has a contract up after the season now. Um, yeah, Story, Story does. The season. And, you know, they haven't reached an extension yet. And they're either going to, they're yeah. in a tough spot because they have to either, they're going to either let him go for nothing, which I think will probably happen because they're, they're going to be concerned about keeping money. Or they'll just trade him, which is probably the smart thing to do, and maybe include Marquez in a package, which could really help a contending team. It it would be rather surprising, though, to see him get traded. It would be a a large... Marquez is the only pitcher that really... One of the few pitchers I can think of that really successfully developed, despite course. Yeah. um, Certainly, yeah. Marquez is a really strong pitcher, or at least he's shown to be a strong pitcher in recent years. And, you know, hopefully he doesn't fall off like, you know, we've seen John Gray and, you know, Ibaldo Jimenez. A lot of these guys really tend to struggle after a few years of um, short-lived success. Now, as for the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals definitely – this definitely helps the Cardinals. You've got mm-hmm. Nolan Arenado and Pat and Paul Goldschmidt in, like, the middle of your lineup. That's essentially pick your poison. And I think that that team is a clear-cut favorite to win the NL Central. Jack Flaherty is a solid ace in your rotation. Problem is, obviously, I don't think they have very much to compete with the other big boys in the NL, but I think it definitely helps the Cardinals for sure. Mm-hmm. It's the back end of that contract that we know is going to get ugly. Yeah, I mean, for the Cardinals, I think they're they're a very large market team, despite being a Midwestern team. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's For them, they're able to really 
levy off those big contracts. They've shown the ability to, and they've shown a massive loyalty to a lot of their players, giving big contracts to Yachty and Wainwright, even in their last years when they're not, you know, Yachty or Wainwright anymore. Yeah, and I want to bring up a comment. Adam Rothschild, Dodgers pitching is stacked, prices the bullpen. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't disagree with that. David Price probably will be in the bullpen come October because they're gonna, yeah, you're gonna have the problem that nobody else has. Whereas we've got three or four starting pitchers. Who who's the odd man out? Yeah, they have five. They just have a stacked rotation. They have a full seven, you know, people deep rotation that can go. That is just unreal. But yeah, basically, basically that trade blew my mind. Not really so much because the Cardinals won it, more because of the incompetence of the Rockies. But last but not least, the other team that really intrigued me and the fourth team, that was my key takeaway, Chicago White Sox. Now, we know they've been on the rise for a few years with their prospects, such as Luis Robert and having Eloy Jimenez. And then you also had Michael Kopech, who started off really hot, but then he had Tommy John and he opted out of 2020. It'll be interesting to see how he bounces back. And then you have Luis Piolito, who looks to be your ace, and it'll be interesting to see if he can maintain that. But mm-hmm. I think the real thing with the White Sox, they've got a great lineup, and I think they probably will win the AL Central. However, there's one reason where I'm kind of hesitant to pick them, and I think that's the hiring of Tony La Russa. Like, don't get me wrong, the guy's a legend, and there's a reason he has a plaque in Cooperstown with his name on it. But with that being said... This is the same guy who hasn't managed in 10 years. He didn't really have a long tenure with Arizona. In fact, I think the Diamondbacks said he created like a toxic atmosphere in which he got fired. He he hasn't had a great track record. And not to mention, this is the same guy who also got arrested for a DUI. Like having with all that in mind and considering he's 77 years old, which don't get me wrong. I don't really have anything against the idea of hiring a 77 year old manager. It's the idea of hiring a 77-year-old manager when you're in a position to be going all in. And you're also a very analytically savvy team. You're a team that's utilized analytics to its best ability. And now you're throwing a 77-year-old, you know, all due respect to him. Yeah. Old head. You know, you're, you're putting a guy who does old-fashioned baseball techniques with – Guys who are all new fashion. You got Tim Anderson, who's really a big marketing player for the MLB, and you know, and there you're gonna see them clash heads a bit. I think you know Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu. These are new factor players. These are new types of players that Larusa never has really gotten to deal with. I mean, I don't necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, he did deal with the Bash brothers in Oakland, and he did deal with some other good sluggers with the Cardinals. Yeah, Cardinals different, different types of personalities nowadays. True, and, true. You know, different environments that they're going to put him under. It's, I don't know, it's it, it's it's an interesting situation the White Sox have. And I think I remember mm-hmm. Ken Anderson had a comment saying he's not going to change his ways if Tony LaRusa wants him to stop doing the bat flips, which don't get me wrong, I'm actually all cool with bat flips. I know I can be a little old school to a certain extent with baseball, but I love seeing the players celebrate. Mm-hmm. I really do. It's like one of the like one of the reasons I think the problem that MLB has with marketing is that they're like dissuading like the players from celebrate and like getting all excited. Yeah. And it's yeah. I can get into a whole spiel about that, believe me, but that's that's a tangent for another day. Yeah. Uh, anyways, my point is Tim Anderson's comments. Like, if you read between the lines, you know that tension could come. Like, you know that he's not willing to, like, to back down from him. So that could potentially be a problem. And not to mention when you look at the whole hiring process of Tony La Russa, remember who the White Sox owner is. I don't know if you watched uh, Last Dance, which was about the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf. And he's got a pretty bad history as an MLB owner. Remember, he's actually, if you look more into the 94 strike, he was one of the owners that was really – militantly anti-union and he wanted the like and he basically like in a roundabout way caused the strike to happen wasn't he also one of the uh uh most proactive owners and not allowing steve cohen to be uh the mets owner yeah yeah yes yeah. he really isn't 
No, that would be great for the progress. You know, of he's the a game. notorious like he's very notoriously like cheap as as I'd say. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, this is the same guy who pretty much like allowed the Bulls to be destroyed right in front of his eyes. So, not somebody I trust making these decisions. Basically. And another big issue with you know the White Sox is that they have to face great teams like the Indians, who are you know despite losing Lindor, still really really good. So, last but not least, before we end the show, let's light. Let's quickly go over our picks. So. Obviously, I kind of gave you guys a little hint as to who I have winning each division. I'm going to go through each division quickly, and then, Josh, I'm going to let you go. First off, let's start with the AL East, my division. I got the Yankees in first, Blue Jays in second. Now, this might surprise you. Even though they had a bad season last year, I think that lineup is going to be able to steal some ball games. And plus, I really have a sense that the Rays are going to crash and burn, especially with the way Kevin Cash does his like opener stuff and whatnot. So I'm actually going to go with the Red Sox ahead of the Rays. And then the Orioles, obviously, are in last place. AL Central. I got the White Sox. Second place, I got the Twins. I got the Indians and the Royals kind of in a little bit of a battle for third and fourth. And then, obviously, the um, the Tigers. That's that's not really a strong division either. It seems like the Central divisions just aren't that strong. AL West. I got the Astros, A's, Angels. Mariners and the Rangers. Now the A's don't be wrong. I'm sure I can see them challenging for first place in that division. But my only concern is that that lineup is very all or nothing. It's kind of a similar, kind of similar in the way they approach it with the Yankees. Like you either see a home run, a walk or a strikeout. I don't know if that's going to work. So I'm going to go with the A's and Josh, let's hear your AL picks. So for the AL East, I actually, have the Rays continuing their reign. Then I have the Blue Jays as the wild card. I have Yankees coming in third. And then I have... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up. Did you see you have the Yankees coming in third? Yeah, I don't exactly trust their rotation. I don't think that's steady enough to uh, stay healthy. And, you know, we'll have to see to believe it, you know, with guys like Kluber that you're relying on, uh, he hasn't had a good track record when he's healthy in the last couple of years. Uh, I didn't like that pickup. So, um, and then, I'm sorry. Can you the first that, three? What? Can you tell me the first three again? Sorry, I couldn't. I forgot yeah. what the first two were because you said the Yankees in third. Um, so I had Rays winning the division, Blue Jays as the wild card team, and then I have the Yankees, Red Sox, Orioles. And I, I do think those, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox are both going to be really close to the Blue Jays, but I think they're just going to get nudged out. Um, it should be said, I do think that the Yankees will be the second wild card team. And yeah, I think Adam's just as surprised as I am. I. I think that's bold, but then again, I've seen you pick against the Yankees a lot, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I um, do think they will be the second wildcard team, but I am not confident in their rotation to really help them get all the way through 162. I'm kind of more surprised that you picked the Rays with first, given given the loss. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge Blake Snow guy, so I think he's a replaceable asset, and I'm I'm a big Tyler Glass now person, and I think they – they always figure a way, so. Okay, how about um? How about we get to the central? Yeah. Um. So I have the Indians retaining reign in that division. Ow. Um. Then the White Sox, Twins, uh, Royals, Tigers. I have in the AL West. I have the A's winning Astros, Angels, Mariners, Rangers. Um, now, what about your NL picks, Hank? You said the A's, Astros, Angels, Mariners, Rangers? Yes, sir. Yeah, I can – yeah, that makes sense. Like I said, Oakland wouldn't surprise me, but I just feel like the a- the Astros still have a few remnants of those illegitimate teams left. No, I'm not salty. <laughs> but I, I, I can – yeah, that those are good picks, and those really make sense. For the NL East, now this is going to surprise you. 
I do have the Braves winning the division, as he prob- as I probably implied early on. For second place, and for my wild for my wild card team. Actually, I have two wild card teams in this division. No, no, I'm sorry, I take that back. I have the Nationals just barely edging out the Mets for second and just and having them just miss that wild card spot. Reason being, I like their outfield. Juan Soto and Josh Bell, like it that's that could potentially be a lethal lineup. And then you look at the pitching staff. Scherzer, Strasburg, Lester, and uh Corbin. They could they could steal some games. And I agree with Adam, by the way. I wish the A's could beat the Astros too. So now for the NL Central, I got the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Reds, the Brewers, and less that about the Pirates, the better. And now for your division, I've got the Dodgers winning that one with the Padres being a wild card, of course, and then the Giants, Diamondbacks, and Rockies. So for my picks with the NL, I'll start in the West. Um, I have the same lineup as you. I have the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants. And Rockies and Diamondbacks. Wait, wait, wait! Uh, you have the Rockies ahead yeah. of the Diamondbacks. Sorry, <laughs> doesn't really matter. I mean, I think they're both not going to be good. Oh, so, okay, okay. Um, I do think that the Padres and Giants will be the in uh, a wild card teams. I think the Giants will figure a way to slip in, and you know they'll use their depth to their advantage, and they will end up having some prospects come in and help fuel them to the playoffs like they did in 2010 with Posey. And little hot take homer picks. I like that. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> um, now on to the central. I have the Cardinals winning. Then I have the, um, the Brewers, then the Reds, then the Cubs, then the Pirates. I feel and- like with the NL Central, we're picking two through five just like because <laughs> we have to. Yeah, just just toss it in the air, see where they land. You know, like throwing in a hat. I'm not really going to challenge that. I <laughs> mm. now I want to hear your NL East because I think that's the one where we. Oh, really yeah. So I don't have a wild card coming out of any of the other NL divisions. Like I said, I have two NL West wild cards. I think the NL East is really going to beat itself up, and they're going to kind of take themselves down. But I do have some good news for you, New York Met fans. I think you guys are going to win the division. Um, I have the Braves being in second, then the, the Nationals, and then I have the Marlins, and then the Phillies. Wow. I think the Marlins are a better position team than the Phillies. I'm not a huge uh, person, a uh, supporter of the Phillies. Again, very bold, but you know what? I like that. I like that we have a lot of differing picks. And um, now, you know what? I would go through the whole playoffs, but instead, I'm just going to jump to the ALCS and the NLCS matchups. For my ALCS, I have the Yankees playing the White Sox. I got the Yankees winning that one. Shocker, right? And the NLCS, I think it's going to be the same one we had last year, Dodgers-Braves. But I have the Dodgers winning that one again. As much as I'd like to see the Braves like pull up a fight against LA, I just think in the end, the Dodgers just have too much firepower, and I don't see who's going to stop them. So we're so basically, I have a World Series matchup that is long overdue. Yankees versus Dodgers hasn't happened in forty years, and considering how closely these two teams have been finishing, I feel like it's inevitable. But Unfortunately, this is where my optimism ends. I think the Dodgers, again, their lineup and their pitching, just too strong. I, As much as I want to predict the Yankees to win their 28th championship, I, I just think the Dodgers are too strong. So my um, NLCS would be the Mets play the Dodgers, and then my ALCS would be the um, – the Blue Jays make it to the ALCS with their new found team, and I think they're going to make some moves to get one more starter during the deadline. And um, they'll face likely uh, the Indians when the Indians are in the ALCS. Indians? Yes, that's, that's why. That's not I have left league. field, man. 
I had the Indians winning their, their central division. And I think they're actually a pretty talented squad, so I think they have a good chance of pitching their way to that division uh, through the playoffs and stuff. Because I, I am, as you know, a big supporter of pitching stats and yes. helping you know get through the playoffs. I don't see a lot of. I feel like I'm trying to help shape you in that department. Yeah, <laughs> that's for certain. <laughs> And what about your World Series? And for my World Series, I will take the Dodgers play the Blue Jays most likely, and the Dodgers will just simply dominate them. It'll be a five, maybe six games if they're lucky. And the Dodgers will likely take their second World Series in a row. Yeah, I'm not necessarily a fan of seeing that, and I know you really aren't a big fan of seeing that. but No. I, we got to give them credit where credit is due. Dodgers are good. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Josh, I want to thank you again for coming on to the debut of the show. This was a lot of fun, just like old times, us having a little debate and chat about <laughs> baseball. Always a pleasure, my friend. And once again, I want to thank you guys for watching. And let me give you a friendly neighborhood reminder. You can follow us on all social media. Like us on Facebook. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at review and preview and you can even catch us on anchor if you happen to miss that episode and also do not forget please subscribe to our youtube channel at review and preview sports we got a lot of good content for you and we have a lot more good stuff coming for you the rest of the baseball season i cannot wait but until next time this is hank and dictor 